Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Welcome back to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond. I have my friend Jack Andrews back. And Jack and I have been friends for <laughs> several years now, but Jack's been out living the living the dream. Well, for the most part, I'm just sitting around in my office for about nine or ten months of the year. And Jack is currently in where, Jack? Uh, currently in Florida, Port Canaveral. Okay, did you winter there? Um, well, the, the boat did, yes. I mean, when, well, summered. Yeah. Okay. Hurricane season here, if that's what you want to say. Is that, the, so, so you're in Corp, uh, Cape Canaveral, is that the insurance companies, is that good enough for the insurance companies? Because you're still in the uh, hurricane zone, right? Correct. Um, it's, well, we're actually insured twice. We've got some insurance through Australia and some through the U.S. We need a local liability insurance to actually come out of the water and be on the hard and they have a policy in florida where they need uh the marina to actually be named on the third party liability insurance we couldn't do that through the australian policy so we had to obtain a u.s policy purely for that the policies that we have now have no uh name storm cover at all so it's irrespective of where we are and what we do. It's totally up to us to make sure that the boat is safe and the risks that we take are, you know, based on assessments and practicality and whatever else. But, uh, yes, we're, if, if we get hit um, by a hurricane and it is damaged, or even if it's a named storm and there's damage to the boat, then we're not covered. Ah, okay. So basically you just got in liability and haul coverage as long as it's not named storm or is it just basically liability now no no we we have full full comprehensive insurance on everything except the name storm okay okay so did you check the difference between the policies on cost for name storm versus non um the insurance company that we've been with for the last um i don't know four years or so uh, just stopped covering name storms so they don't offer an increase in premium to cover it they just in effect just stop providing that cover okay okay so yeah i mean it's something that we will potentially review again this year um but it seems to be a trend i mean the insurance companies as per usual would normally continue to reduce their risk in the people they insure I mean, ideally, their business is based on no risk at all to them. <laughs> that would make it the most profitable, and I think that's what they're aiming for. Yeah, well, that's the ideal. It's a long tail coverage. Ideally, uh, you never have to pay the cover the coverage. So <laughs> that's that's the ideal. So I'm looking. I've got no foreign lands opened up. And, yeah, yeah. And I, I can see you're right out out at the end of the dock there in in. Oh, yeah. Cape Canaveral, but I see that you've actually been in two other places in that marina, according to your track. So, you've uh, yes, spent... there was another, there was another marina that we first arrived at, and um, then from that marina we came to Ocean Club Marina. 
which seems to be a very nice marina, nice floating docks, um, you know, good facilities, uh, very friendly people. It's good. It's a nice place to be. Not too expensive. It's just a bit over, I don't know, it's about $1,200 a month for us to stay here. And I think they work that on a minimum of a 50-foot berth. Okay, okay. That seems expensive to me, but uh, maybe it's not Well, relative. by U.S., it depends on where you are. I mean, like, <laughs> when we first arrived from the Bahamas before we um, turned up at the U.S., well, when we turned up at the U.S. and we arrived from the Bahamas before this hurricane season, we ended up in West Palm Beach, and that was far more expensive. <laughs> I can imagine it was, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All well, right. you know. In, in the Mediterranean, you'll get, uh, you, you know, for $2,000, we'd probably get cover for seven months in a marina. So it's certainly expensive by European standards. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's backtrack because we were just starting to go down a path before I started the recorder. And, uh, and I, I, I was asking you if you ever got to Puerto Rico, and you said you didn't get to Puerto Rico because you didn't have the visas. But, but Jack, you, had a, you were a... You're an American citizen and an Australian citizen, aren't you? No, just an Australian okay. uh, and European, but uh, not U.S. Okay, so tell us so, the process of actually entering the United States. Cause I've heard horror stories about that. Well, look, some, some people choose not. To, some people choose to risk it uh, only due to the process of obtaining a B one visa. So it's for for. For a foreign-owned vessel, um, or if it's foreigner on there, you have to um, you have to come in with a B1 visa. Now, if you're a U.S. citizen, obviously that's not an issue. You just get it on the roadmap and you're in. But to get a B1 visa, you have to attend an appointment at a U.S. embassy. So if you're sailing around in the Caribbean or the Bahamas, there's only certain locations where you can do that. The Bahamas is definitely one that's fairly popular. Um, Barbados is very popular for the people crossing from Europe because it's, you know, probably the first per, uh, port of call. Um, so that would have been a good time to do it. Um, but we didn't do one in Barbados, and then we sailed around the Caribbean for a couple of years. Um, and spend some time in the Bahamas before finally making a decision to come to the U.S. on this trip. And that's purely because the previous winter time was in Jamaica and there was nothing we could buy or do or anything in respect to the boat services. So wanting to go to Florida, wanting to go to the ability to, you know, order online and get things done was the reason we came to the U.S. this time. And to do that, I had to go to the Bahamas uh, U.S. Embassy well, sorry, the U.S. Embassy in Nassau, in the Bahamas, um, and do the application there, hand over a passport, and wait for the visa to be added to my passport. We didn't do it for the entire family because what we did is when we left the Bahamas, we left from Bimini, and I soloed the boat across to the U.S. with my B-1, and the rest of the family took a ferry from Bimini to the US and just did the normal 90 day ESTA application as you know if you're not staying in the US for more than 90 days and you don't really need to go through the process unless you're landing on the boat 
All right, so that explains it. So they have, so have you been there more than ninety? You haven't been there more than ninety days, and yet have you? Well, the B one gives you six months. Okay. So okay, so I could be here for six months, and the family actually left earlier and headed off to Ireland, and I stayed on the boat and did some boat projects before leaving and putting the boat up on the hard. So when I left, we put the boat up on the hard in Cape Marina and. We left the boat there and came back to it about a month ago. So, so yeah, visa-wise, we're all good. Um, and since, of course, the family is coming back and they're not coming back on a private vessel, they just fly in on a commercial carrier. You just come in on the Esther, which is the 90-day um, stay. But there have been stories. One, I know people who have come into the U.S., on the Esther and not a B1 visa. And some of them have been told that it's the wrong thing and have been effectively, you know, criticized, but still let in. And some have had other issues. Um, but if you phone up uh, border protection, they outright tell you, and they also tell you on the website that you need the B1. Well, that explains a lot, because even even for me coming back, I was looking at what I have to do to come back, and I I don't know that there's really much I need to do except to show up and show um, my you test. have to down you oh. have to download the Rome app. The what? And it, the Rome app. Oh, the Rome app. Okay. Yep. So that's the U.S. government app for entering, and I think it they it's there for aircraft as well as for boats, um, and it's certainly smoothed the process certainly for american citizens because what you end up doing is you fill up an account on the roam app which takes a picture of your passport anyway and when you arrive you enter your arrival details in the application within a few minutes you get a response back um, from customs and border protection and they tell you whether you've been approved or whether you have to come into the office and attend with documentation and of course you know for you 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 know i don't know your entire history there franz but i assume that you'd be just let in being an american citizen <laughs> but but in our case you know we we entered the details on the roadmap and they said we had to attend in person or i had to attend with the documentation okay actually i just pulled out my phone and i actually did download it because i guess i read that somewhere but I don't think I really need to do much until I uh, start coming back to the point where I need to actually come into the States, I guess. I'll, I'll find, I'll play with this a little bit. But it's wanting to get all sorts of things. It wants me to turn on my location services to let them uh, track me and all sorts of things. So I'll be hesitant to do that until I have to. So. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no, yeah, there's no point uh, using it right now. As long, I mean, if it's on the phone, then... You can enter the details in there, but um, you just don't have to. Because it does actually have a section that talks about, you know, do you want to do an arrival? or So, you know, you can always pre-enter the stuff in. Oh, okay. Well, I'll play with that see what's going on. So let's, pick, let's catch up. I don't even remember the last time we talked, but I think you were probably somewhere in the Bahamas at the time. And since then, yeah, you've done a bunch I, of stuff. So Well, I imagine... I mean, that, if it was three years ago, it would have been the Bahamas, but prior to that, it would have been somewhere in the 
in the Windward Islands because we've done, this will be our fourth season coming up in the Bahamas. And prior to that, we did a couple of seasons in the rest of the Windward Islands. So, yeah, when we came across the Atlantic, landed in Barbados and shot up and down the islands a bit, and then COVID hit. Um, we were in Antigua at COVID time, and Grenada was offering safe um, safe harbour, I guess, for the hurricane season for for boaters that needed somewhere to stay in that first year of uh, COVID. So we ended up going to Grenada, um, spent time there, and then we moved up the chain and done most of the islands. I mean, we didn't go to Puerto Rico, but you know, we've done most of the other islands. So certainly a lot of time spent in the Windward Islands. But then when we found the Bahamas, it's the fishing and spear fishing and the beaches that have been the most attractive to us. Um, and obviously socializing. Um, over the years, I mean, it's been, it's coming on to eight years, what, seven and a half years since we've been on the boat. So a lot of sailing friends around the world and we've had the opportunity to run into them again and again uh, in different parts of the world. Um, obviously, as far as we're concerned, we only have done the Mediterranean, the Caribbean and, you know, over to here. But some of those friends are now um, either finishing up a circumnavigation or, or going to continue and soon will be. A lot of them have gone to the Pacific. Um, but yeah, for us, we've enjoyed the Bahamas a lot because the teenagers that we have on board love the area. Uh, obviously, a favourite is Georgetown and the socialising there with um, kid groups, volleyball, um, spearfishing around the place. Okay, so I'm zooming in on your track, and I see you've been several places, uh, many multiple times. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like you and Andrew Vick, who I'm going to be talking to on Friday. You keep me these tracks, and you can see where you guys go all the time, where your favorite spots are. So <laughs> Andrew Vick does the same thing. I, I get his tracks. I start looking at it. I said, "Oh, you've gone there like seven times. You obviously like that location." You're not yeah. quite that bad, but I do see a few places you go back to quite a bit here so on the Bahamas. Yeah, and l luckily last year we, um, were, we had an opportunity to do Andros, which is um, you know, not that visited. In actual fact, we only saw like, maybe two sailboats there in the course of a month, which is totally different to what you know, Staniel Key is or Georgetown is, where you've got hundreds of boats in just the one bay, right? So, or, you know, in, so is Andros, uh, do you have to get a permit to visit or is it just off the beaten path? It's off the beaten path and there is not a lot of protection. Uh, so, you know, having the right weather to enjoy it is important. Um, and anchorages are very limited. So, you know, that's, that's the other thing. Having the right tender, we can maybe anchor the boat in one location and have the ability to move a few miles fairly easily um, is, you know, is a way to enjoy that place because otherwise the number of places that you can actually put your main or, you know, the main vessel um, is not that many for protection. 
Okay. Um, so yeah, that's probably why Andros is not that visited because it has got a you know it's like I think third largest coral reef or something, but the problem is, you know, there's the reef. Uh, then there's a little space behind it where you could anchor in some cases, but the prevailing winds are usually coming from the direction that the reef's on, right? So, yeah. so and entry and exits behind the reefs are usually fairly shallow and limited. Um, so I think that tends to be why it's not. But the beauty about the place is it's like there's hardly anyone there. And the marine life is pretty good. Like, yeah, the fishing, the opportunities for fishing is fantastic. Uh, some good diving in some um, blue holes. Ended up doing one dive on the outside of one blue hole. Ended up going uh, 40 meters into it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a pretty good one. So do you have a compressor on your boat? I know you used to be a professional diver. We don't have a compressor because of the size of the vessel. Okay. Um, we're quite limited on, on room, but we do end up carrying a lot of scuba cylinders. And over time, we've learned where to fill them. So, so it's uh, not too bad. And most of, the, most of the time, the sort of diving that we're doing around the Bahamas is usually snorkeling. It's not that often that we'll actually be scuba diving in, in the Bahamas. So have you, what are the rules and regulations on, let's say, going after lobster? Are there any in the Bahamas? Depends whether you're a local or a visitor. Okay. So it's a funny story, right? Like, um, as, as a visitor, there is a lobster season. And... Um, during that lobster season, I believe it's seven lobsters per boat, something like that. Um, so that's all good, and the you know in the right spots like the raggeds, plenty of lobsters, and rocks will be plenty. Um, where all the boats are, there's not you know it's a lot harder to get them there because everyone's getting them. Um, the but as far as locals are concerned, you tend to find that the locals will have the attitude that if they are catching lobsters to eat for dinner, then it's totally legal any time of year. Um, I don't know if that's correct for them or not. Obviously, we're not we're not locals, so it's like we don't care uh, if that is correct because it doesn't apply to us. But there is clearly a lobster season. And uh, it's currently on, so we should be over there, but we're waiting on weather. Okay. So, yeah, I, I was actually looking to predict wind this morning, and it looks like it's nasty out there right now. Yeah, I mean, if you have a look tomorrow, it gets even nastier. <laughs> yeah, so you're just waiting for a weather window then. Yeah, we, we might have a chance on, uh, on Monday, but it'll be some, you know, we'll be leaving in some fairly stiff wind and with a slight north. Uh, which is not so good for the Gulf Stream. Mm. So we may shoot down um, the coast from Cape Canaveral on Monday, um, staying on the inside of the Gulf Stream, and then as soon as the northerly component ends in the wind, shoot across the Gulf Stream quickly and continue overnight, I guess. That's one option, but we're fairly desperate because the weather does, has not been very favourable 
um, up to now. We haven't wanted to leave until this point, but now we're ready. And um, sometimes the windows uh, for the golf crossing are fairly limited, and they tend to be after a uh, cold front moves through. Hmm. So I'm looking at your track, and I see on your way up you stopped at Fort Pierce before you came in there. Did you mm-hmm. anchor there? It looks like it's uh, looks like it's just an anchorage. You can just go in and drop a hook. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So that's where you could head down to and wait for a better weather window or continue on down farther so you have a better angle on it if you want to then. Yeah, I mean, you can take the ICW further down to West Palm Beach and shoot across. It's much closer. Um, so it depends on what your airdraft is, obviously. Uh, the the ICW bridges are usually 65 feet, except for one that is known to be less than 65 feet around this area. I think that's at either 63 and a half or 64 feet. Uh, and then there is also one other bridge that's closer to Miami that's 60 feet. Okay. Okay. And my, mine is 44, so I'm good all the way through. It doesn't bother me. But I see, when I look at boats in a marina, I look at my mast. My mast always seems short compared to other right. boats that I look around at. <laughs> Some of them are very tall. So, yeah. It's, but yeah, it's like your dinghy. It's very small. You don't even fit in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And you were telling me about uh, how many boats you're, tra- you're dragging behind your boat now. Talk to us about your new boat. All right. Uh, yeah, we, we last year when we were actually in Andros, we acquired a Boston Whaler. It's a Montauk 17 foot um, center console. And so, yeah. So we are actually dragging that behind the boat now, which is quite funny because, I mean, you know, our boat's 46 feet and this thing's 17. Um, also check to make sure that we, we're actually licensed to call it a tender. And by Australian uh, federal registration, we are, as long as, the, um, as, long as the, the tender is not greater than 50% of the length of your boat, then you can call it a tender. So, yeah, um, but it makes a huge difference in getting around. That's the point I was making for Andros is that, you know, we can get in that and go a few nautical miles very quickly. Um, and, of course, the the other advantage is that we end up having three vessels. So, if, you know, if one tender does have an issue, um, we can drop, you know, jump in the, in the dinghy and, um, you know, instigate a rescue or whatever is needed. Yeah, so you actually have um, a, a vessel that's useful, not you know, that can get you somewhere fairly quickly. Then, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, flat out now, I think it does forty-five knots, so it's pretty quick. So yeah, um, and the other thing we have on it is an in-reach tracker, so we, you know, we can monitor where the shadow console is because. Uh, VHF radio range is or isn't always the best, and sometimes cell phone coverage isn't so, always the best. So, so we, you and I both had Iridium when we came across the Atlantic. I got rid of mine because I thought it was really not ready for prime time. Do you like the inReach? The inReach is super good because, like you know, the little inReach Mini, you can mm-hmm. fit it anywhere. It doesn't use a lot of power. You can have it on all the time and tracking. Um, it doesn't cost a whole lot per month, 
whilst the iridium was ridiculous prices. Um, it, it's waterproof, you know. It, the, yeah, the, the iridium, forget about it. I don't think, don't know if they're worth much anymore. I know that they produced a much faster iridium, but even then, that's slow compared to Starlink. So, for instance, on the boat we have Starlink, and we can log into the internet and monitor the tracks of the in-reach devices very easily, uh, even if there's no cell phone coverage or VHF range. Yeah, that's when I got when I sold mine. I put mine on eBay for about half of what I paid for it, and I was able to sell it. And I was glad to get that for it when I sold it. Yeah, yeah. So and well, with the inReach, um, some of the devices, the larger devices, you can text from. The smaller device, you can have some pre-set up texts in them. Um, but if you have your cell phone, you can link the two, and you can send emails via. Uh, the inReach, hmm. and you can send text via the inReach from your phone. Sounds like so, a good. Now you, now you just got Starlink too, didn't you? Uh, we actually we <laughs> we got ours in Ireland um, oh. before we went back the previous season because the boat was on the hard in Jamaica, uh, Port Antonio, and we brought the Starlink over from Ireland and put it on. The boat in Jamaica and it worked straight away. Just had to tell it that it was not in its, you know, usual location. Um, that was fantastic because at that point in time, Starlink were just introducing things and they weren't quite monitoring um, the continental restrictions. Uh, obviously, since then they've got a whole bunch of new plans. So now, um, if you're going to stay within the continent. You sort of put it on the Rome package, and as long as you're um, as long as you're coastal or within a within a country within a cell that they mark, then you're okay. If you need to go out of the continent, you can buy global roaming packages as well. I think it's like two hundred dollars a month for the global one and one hundred and fifty for the normal um, non-residential one. And then after that, you can get in motion and priority access and maritime services and so forth. But we found that the standard $600 hardware plus the 150 per month uh, seems to be pretty good for what we need. Because unless you're out at sea, uh, and then you can activate priority, um, and then they charge you per gigabyte whilst you're at sea on the on a passage, for instance. So when you say on a continent, would that be including like all the Caribbean islands is considered a continent? Um, well, I know the Bahamas is considered part of the okay. continent. Of, yeah, so if, if you get a US-based Starlink, you're totally fine in the Bahamas. Um, I would imagine it extends down the rest of the Caribbean. I haven't heard any people complaining that it doesn't okay i just hear good things about it from the people i've talked to that they really enjoy it that works well but uh it's a near one of them so it's good hey let me ask you about um i'm looking at your tracks and i see this one track that sort of zips down through um, cuba and haiti and 
you don't stop at either one of those places for obvious reasons and head down to Jamaica. I don't hear much about sailors going to Jamaica. Is there a yeah. reason? Is there a reason for that? Um, yeah, it's it's. <laughs> there's not a lot of boating that goes on in Jamaica, um, and the it's not a very good cruising ground. So the place that we stopped at was Port Antonio, and it was a safe location. They've got there's you know there's a good reasonable marina there. Um, Jamaica is a very pretty country. You know, you've got lush sort of vegetation and steep hills and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And there's a lot of good things about Jamaica, but from a boating perspective, it's not that good. The, the country as well has a reputation of not necessarily being the safest. Um, so, you know, some of the local guys, guides that we were with um, said that, you know, it, you can go through the capital externals um, suburbs and you drive through in the morning and it's fine and then in the afternoon there's a gunfight going on um, so we never went to Kingston we were sort of put off by some of those stories um, plenty of people do it's probably totally safe hmm. a lot of the a lot of the touristy area areas are very gated um, so you have the typical hotel with a fences and gates around it and anyone that goes any any tour or something it's all organized by the hotel and the hotel bus comes along and they go off and they do their thing and they just come back to the same location um it yeah and f there is a lot of swell along along that entire coast so anchoring there's a couple of bays near port antonio that you can anchor in um after that you're probably very restricted in anchorages um all the way through to the west of the island when you you know maybe montego bay might be fine um but along the north part of that um the coast of jamaica you have quite a large or quite a swell running through most of the time so it looks to me like there's a boatyard, then you were put on the heart in that boatyard in Port Antonio. Is that right? Yes, we were in the marina and in the boatyard there. Looks like a very small marina, if that's what I'm looking at. So. Yeah, it is a very small marina, and there were, very, there, was, there were no boating services in that marina. Like, it's not like you could just leave the boat there and get someone to do work on it for you. Um, there just wasn't anyone like there was no one to get in contact with about canvas work or or anything i mean even sometimes getting some particular tools was a little bit difficult i had to change a through hole and i had ended up having to rent uh, the right size pipe wrench <laughs> as opposed to being able to buy one <laughs> all right so what time are your plastic sea sea halls sea seacock sea through halls are yours plastic? No, no not plastic. Yeah. They're bronze? It was, it was bronze, yeah. Why did you have to replace it? Those things are indestructible. Uh, the ball valve was the was the bit that failed. Oh. So, yeah, no, it wasn't the fit. It wasn't the skin fitting or the actual 90-degree, um, you know, bronze structure. It was the actual ball valve inside. 
Yeah, yeah. How often have you changed your um, your uh, stuffing, or not your stuffing box, your um, cutlass bearing? Uh, so we're a sail dryer. So oh, okay. I haven't changed it at all. <laughs> okay, you don't have to worry about that then. Okay. No. All right, so out of all your adventures over the last few years, are there any that come to mind as uh, ones we really should talk about? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because it just has become standard life for us, right? So it's <laughs> it's like it's like you saying, you know, go to work and come home, and you know, what's what's <laughs> what should we talk about? <laughs> um, that's a tough one. In that sense, um, I must say that from the from a Bahamas point of view, I can talk about a few locations that uh, we've liked. I mean, you probably look at the Crooked Acklands, and you know we've gone up and down that part of the Bahamas quite quite a bit. We would like to go back there on a regular basis. The, you know, the fishing's great; it's not not that busy. We love the touristy parts as as well in the Bahamas. I mean. They just have a familiarity about them. You know, it's Daniel Key with the swimming pigs and Thunderball Grotto. <clears throat> Anytime we have some visitors on there, you know, obviously it's a great place to, to take them. Um, it's also reasonable things to do around that area, even if the weather's pretty bad. So that's, that's cool. Um, you know, a popular favorite of everybody's is, is Georgetown. Um, again, that's probably from the social aspect of it. Okay, let me zoom in on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. So, so you've spent at least two, at least two winters, pretty much just in the Bahamas, haven't you? Uh, it's been three. Three winters. Be okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I've talked to another friend that I did the uh, Chicago Mackinac race on, Chris Reba. And that's what he did with his family. He took his family on a six-month sabbatical, and they uh, they went and sailed the Bahamas, and they they thoroughly enjoyed it. So it seems to be a, a there's enough room to anchor and enjoy yourself. It sounds like. Yeah, the, the anchorages are usually pretty large. I mean, you know, obviously there's some areas where <laughs> if if the anchorage looks small, but like you know, Staniel, as an example, big majors there where the swimming pigs are. I mean, you can put, yeah, a hundred boats in there without a problem, uh, easily. Um, and then there's other anchorages around that same area, so it's not too bad. Georgetown, usually during the peak, has, you know, 400 boats. Um, in least, you know, in that location, around Chat and Chill and, you know, the anchorages that are around there are fairly long, and... Um, yeah, I think the boat count is usually in well and truly in the hundreds, and at peak it's it's 400 boats. So it's very popular, and most of them will be U.S. flag boats there. So you know, for U.S. citizens, it's it's super close. Um, it's it's an easy sail, <laughs> um, and there's a lot of area to explore. We. We've certainly enjoyed uh, like places like Green Key, which is like out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, Green Key, 
is I'm not sure if you still got no foreign land open. I do. I'm looking at it right now. So it's uh it's that one island, the tiny, tiny little island out in the middle of nowhere. Is that the one we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like so like you sail across from say Staniel or somewhere and you just you know, it's it's a less than a day trip. I mean it's, it's maybe if you sail it maybe four four, six hours, depending on what speed you're doing. Um, there's no one there, hardly anyone there. You want to do it in reasonably calm conditions because anchoring, because there's a current running there, um, well, from a tide perspective, there's a current, but, you know, you can either anchor on one side or the other of that westerly spit. And there's just no one there. But right next to you, is the tongue of the ocean and so you could be anchored uh, on the west side and within like 200 yards it just drops down to hundreds and hundreds of feet I think I think the depth there is about 800 feet or something so the fish life is fantastic I mean you know you can just in the morning just go and trawl up along that tongue of the ocean get yourself a couple of tuna or mahi or whatever you know just very easily spear fishing's pretty good there's some reef areas there and again yeah not too many people um the other area which is pretty cool if you're going fishing is the top of the tongue and you know if you um if you're leaving Georgetown, you can shoot across there in calm conditions. I mean, like, you know, you're sailing along in, what, 12 foot of water for like a few hours, and then all of a sudden you're going into hundreds of, hundreds of feet, meters probably actually, really. I haven't had a look at Navionics as to what the depth is, I can't remember. But um, the Navy has a listening base or multiple listening sound range set up along Andros and it's all because of the depth of water that's in that location and the fact that on the southernmost tip I mean it's a dead end it, you know, effectively it's a cul-de-sac because if you come sailing down in your big ship through that area you can't get out because you're limited by depth so it has very little large vessel traffic except for you know, maybe smaller um, Bahamas resupply barges. Um, and the depth is fairly extensive. Sorry, I'm just looking it up now. Let's have a look. Um, yeah, so it is... Huh. Trying to find it. Well, it's not showing me a depth contour there. It's 500 meters close to shore. Oh, here we go. It's one and a half kilometers. So it's that's pretty deep. So it's nearly yeah yeah. I mean, it'd be at least three quarters of a mile. Um, yeah, in some yeah, and it, and the drop off is fantastic. Like it's you're in three meters, and then within a couple of hundred meters, a uh, hundred yards, you're in 500 meters. <laughs> For your crossing, you did a uh, wing-on-wing with two headsails. And I yes. got an extra headsail to do it on my boat. 
and yep. I decided not to go that route. I ended up just uh, pulling my main over because it balanced better. With my main pulled over to one side, my boom uh, jibed over, and uh, and the pull because again you're going dead downwind, so you're always going to get the roll. And so I never I bought a sail and I never used it, so it's sitting down there, and I got to get rid of it now. But uh, that's what I use. That for me, that was a better sail configuration than trying to get two head sails out there. But I'm looking at yours, and you had pretty much identical head sails on your boat, didn't you? We just kept the old heads. I mean, yeah, we kept the old Genoa, and when we upgraded the sails, um, we just had that aside. We just put that one back up. Um, the beauty about having that wing on wing on the one foil um, is that you're only managing one sail, not two. Yeah, yeah. So, in other words, when you reduce sail, you're only furling one thing. Here was the issues I had. I, I wore through my, my spinnaker pull or my jib pull uh, three times on the crossing. The chafing, just where it went right through the pull, it wore that out. How, how did you prevent that from happening on your boat? So, I, we didn't have, um, didn't have anywhere there. Are you hmm. talking about the sheet had... Yeah, the sheet where it goes through the pole, which uh, pulls out the the jib. So it's the sheet sheet that wore. Uh huh. The sheet wore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we ha we had uh, extra protection on the outside of ours. Okay. In preparation for that, and uh, it didn't wear. So it, it we bought some um, correctly sized um, anti wear or sheath that went over the line at that point. Okay. All right, tell us about the family. Declan's grown up, and he's gone and, and worked yeah. as a captain, and now he's back. Tell us what's been going on with the family. Well, that's right, yeah. So at the moment, the kids are 15, 17, and 19, and um, Declan, at his, um, just before he turned 18, headed off to the U.K. and completed his um, RYA offshore yachtmaster course. So that, um, and his medicals for his offshore medica um, you know, mm -hmm. medical certification. So, and he also did part one and two on the engineering courses. So he is um, qualified to drive up to 200 ton vessels uh, commercially. Um, and, he, <laughs> and his first, first job. Uh, was for one of the groups, and I won't mention which group it is, but like one of the groups that does the big parties and sailing regattas where it's sort of, you know, you get six, you get a flotilla of boats and all the people on there are about, you know, 25 to 35 years of age <laughs> and they're just there for a good time. So he had a, I think it was a 50-foot boat with 10 guests on it. <laughs> and he did this for about six weeks. Um, it says like, he came back with some stories of uh, times that he scared his guests um, sailing in fairly windy conditions in Croatia, because you know it can get get pretty windy in Croatia. Um, and uh, you know, guests that was like you know ten guests that were all females between twenty five and. 28 years of age <laughs> and getting up to, um, you know, party things. So, so he had 
he felt like he had a lot of responsibility, and obviously he did. Yeah. Certainly at, at a young age, um, particularly when you're trying to keep people relatively safe when they're not so sober. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that, that sort of responsibility. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, he loved it. He had a good time. Um, the pay was not the best, but the tips were good. Okay, that's good. That's good. So what's he planning on doing now then? Is he just how do you get jobs in that in that business? How do you find out where to go and and where do, where do you get the jobs? Has, uh, he, has he thought about being going in the commercial maritime? Look, I think he he would he probably will do that eventually. At the moment, he's qualified to to go and work uh, in almost, you know, any industry except for the merchant marine type industry. I mean, you, you can he could certainly get a job in that, but not the job that he wants. Um, typically, what he's after at the moment is probably doing um, deckhand or a second engineer position on a super yacht, and then progressing up through the ranks on the super yacht. Uh, he wants to, in a couple of years, or maybe next year or the year after, do his um, officer of the watch course. And once he completes that, he will then actually be able to apply for a job on you know, a tanker, a freighter, or a cruise ship, or, or whatever. But in the meantime, if he has a lot of fun on the super yachts, then he might hang around in that because you know it's very different industries, uh, all about boating. But yeah, no, he had a great time in Croatia. Um, like I said, a lot of responsibility. But it sort of remind Croatia was like the first place that we cruised after we bought the boat. Yeah, that's where you bought the uh, boat was in Croatia, right? Yeah, we bought it. We bought her in Slovenia. Okay, um, Slovenia. Okay. So and and it was a Croatian charter boat, but the company that was chartering it went broke, and they had it up on the hard for two years. The owners were Slovenian. Uh, the boat didn't get a lot of use, so as a result, she was in pretty good condition. And we did most of our sailing in Croatia. So some of it actually came back to him as as fond memories of actually being there when he was a kid. Yeah, a lot younger at that point in time, wasn't he? He's... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I can't, you know, last year we were talking, speaking of the boat, you know, we've had it for so long now. Um, we always talk about upgrading it. And it, it's really hard to do at the moment because just that commitment of time and you know what sort of boat would you upgrade to uh julia's always been talking about catamarans and i've you know so you, some of the comments you say is like well nobody gets a tattoo of a of a catamaran you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's true <laughs> but you know from it, it's the boat the boat you should have is the boat that matches the types of sailing that you do, right? Yes. So if you're living on a boat that needs to be shallow draft, but you need it to be large enough to accommodate a family and have, you know, generators and compressors and everything else, the, the most ideal boat for the Bahamas is probably a catamaran, you know, in reality. Yep. And uh, the, the most ideal boat for living on is probably a catamaran as well because it just has the space to be utilized mm -hmm. um, it's going to be less rolly at anchor it's, it's going to be always shoal draft 
um, unless it's humongous. Um, so, yeah, I'm sort of unfortunately starting to think that we'll probably end up switching to a catamaran um, because it's going to be worthwhile to make a switch once. Because this is it, you know, you spend all these years going through the entire boat and fixing things and maintaining them but improving them. And at this point in time, our boat is absolutely perfect except for its size. So we are so happy with it that it's hard to make that change because we know it's totally functional for what we can do. And the only problem we have is the fact that we have the hardship of limited space. Other than that, it does exactly what we need in the area that we want to cruise in. So, yeah, and and for you, this is this is your home. I mean, you don't have another home or two homes or three homes to go home to. This is your home. This is it, what you live on. So, yeah, it it is. I mean, we could we we do have places that we could live on land um, for short periods of time, um, and you know, we got rid of the house in Australia because it wasn't doing anything for us at that point in time. Um, so I mean, we could go to a land-based life anytime we want. Trouble is, after being on the boat for so long, it's hard to think where we would go. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's always been my problem. I sail into these picture-perfect harbors and I'll say, wow, this is great. And after, you know, after a week there, I'm saying, let's get out of here. Let's go somewhere else because. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> you can do so that we, in a boat. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, why would you buy waterfront property in the Bahamas when you can own a boat? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, and you can move it around to the best waterfront property at the time. So. Correct. Yeah. And then, yeah. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think probably the, the things that's stopping us from getting a catamaran um, at the moment, commitment to the financial aspect of it is one thing because it would pretty much chew up all the cash. Um, and we'd try not to, yeah, we wouldn't get a loan for it. Uh, but the other factor is that you'd lose a season trying to do it because by the time you put your boat up for sale, sell your boat, find the one that you're buying, buy it, go through the process of making sure that it's up to scratch for what you know that you need on it. And after seven and a half years, we know what we need on it. Um, I think there's a good chance that you'd lose a cruising season. Well, you could uh, go buy a catamaran in Croatia and do what the uh, bring it across again. And, you know, that's probably exactly what we would do. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know if we necessarily get rid of Vesna initially until the other one's set up. Yeah. Yeah. When I got to Grenada, I, I was, I got to Grenada and it's great. I had the best sail from Caraco back down to Grenada that I've had in 20 years. It was broad reach balls to the walls, wonderful. And I thought, wow, I haven't had a sale like this in years because the, the Mediterranean is just not known for great sailing. Yes, and, yeah. But, <laughs> but I was bored out of my mind with, with the area. 
I mean, I go into these bays and I see these people that are basically come down here, put their boat on a mooring, stay there for six months and go back to Canada. And uh, they're not they're not sailors. They're not adventurers. <laughs> just they're just people who live in an RV on the water is basically what it amounts to. And don't even move yeah. the RV around. So. <laughs> yeah, look, I think a bit of that goes on. There's people that actually sail around and, you know, do thousands of miles each year. Um, and there's people that just either sail to one location and stop um, or they leave the boat there and just fly in and out, like you said. Mm-hmm. That definitely happens. And, it, yeah, it's not sailing, it's not adventuring, it's not exploring, uh, for sure. But when you look at the – and I know that we've sort of done the Bahamas so many times, but it's a large area and there's still parts that we haven't explored and there's parts we want to go to. But we are doing, you know, a few thousand miles each, oh, yeah. each season easily. I think we're up to something like 20,000 miles on in Vesna at this point in time. Okay, okay. Yeah, my plans for this year is to bring the boat up from Trinidad up to uh, work my way north to Puerto Rico and, and put it on the heart in Puerto Rico for the winter. And then next year, maybe just sail the uh, U.S. and British Virgin Islands, maybe get over to San, San Martin and spend the, the, the season there, and then probably the year after that, move up to the Bahamas and spend time there. Now, you never wintered in the Bahamas, have you? No, we haven't. I mean, we thought about it. Um, I say, I say know, winter, around, but I guess it's actually summer. Is it's what summer. I, yeah. yeah, it's summer. Uh, you know, somewhere around Freeport, we're thinking of, at mm-hmm. one point in time that we might have done that. Had I not got the B1, we probably would have. The reason we went to Florida is because we wanted to do some work on the boat and do some maintenance and projects. We found getting stuff here was really easily easy to do. Mm-hmm. Getting services and labor is really hard. Hmm. Like everyone's too busy and everyone's super expensive. Oh, in the in Florida, you're saying then? Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. So, you know, if if you in Saint Martin, you could do a um, for our size boat, you could do a Dodger and a Bimini for about three thousand US. In Florida, you'd be paying four times that. Oh wow! Okay, okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, so Saint Martin, great place for for boat work. I would say it's like the Malta of the islands, the okay. Caribbean islands. Right. Like, super yacht industry is really big there. Um, you know, all the big yachts are there that go to. Um, they go. They will actually stay put in Saint Martin uh, if they're not doing the Mediterranean season. And there's as as a result, there's a lot of boats and a lot of services, and the pricing is not too bad. Hmm. Trinidad um, is great for doing that stuff. For anything that involves labor, it's great. Yes. Uh, and yeah. the quality of the, the, what I've seen, the quality of the labor is pretty good. And, it had that history of it as well, yeah. you know, prior to COVID when it got shut down. Um, you know, it, it was one of those places that you go to for that. Yeah, um, I'm, having new, uh, I'm having new upholstery done. 
and I'm actually paying them to paint my boat this year. This is the first time I've had owned the boat that I've actually paid somebody to, to do the bottom paint on it, which is rare for me. I'm usually out there doing that. Um, but they were cheap enough that I thought, well, why, why do I want to go down and spend a day in that hot humidity and do it myself when I can pay somebody to do it at a reasonable price? So Right. I've heard that Guatemala is similar to that. Ah, okay. Okay. Now, you've never been over there. You've all you, no. you now. Did you winter in? Uh, in you did winter somewhere in Bo, Cura, not Caraco, but um, uh, so Curacao and Bonaire. Yeah, yeah. You so went the ABC there. Islands. Yeah, we went. Yeah, we did. We we summered. Summered, right? <laughs> I'm just yeah. used to saying wintering. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we summered in Bonaire. Fantastic place. If you're into scuba diving, mm-hmm. that is. I mean, it's a destination place for scuba diving. For scuba diving, so, yep, uh, that was great. Really enjoyed it. Um, they are limited in space there for boats, and the moorings are all charged for. You cannot anchor anywhere in the island. Hmm. So, you basically either either in the marina, uh, which is not the most fun. Um, or on a mooring, which is good, but limited number of moorings. And um, I can't. When we left, the prices were going up. I believe when we left, it, it was $10 a day for a mooring ball. Mm. And it was heading up from there. So I'm not sure what current price is. But yeah, it was a good place to be. Curacao, less, less. So, I mean, it, it's okay in the, inside in the protected areas in the marinas. Um, not so good for anchoring along the coast. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at your track, and I see both places that you visited. And uh, they've got a huge inside bay there in Carousel. Yes, know. and that's that's where you, everyone goes to um, to anchor up and stay in, in that. But obviously, you're, you know, you're inland effectively inland waterways so then not as good if you're into snorkeling diving and so forth it's hard to get to whilst around Bonaire you actually moored out in the ocean so really good for that yeah yeah all right we've been talking about we've got almost exactly an hour jack what else should we touch base on before we uh we call it a catch-up it's just for me it's a catch-up because i i think about you all the time i know you're out there living the dream for you it's not the dream it's just life and uh just uh want to cut i highly recommend it though yeah yeah and to think that before you did this you sailed with me on my little boat that was a long time ago so that was well that was um 2015 i think yeah yeah and that was a good time yeah you and neil two friends two lifetime friends as a result of that so that's great yeah absolutely and i hear neil's coming back to spend some time with you when you're moving your boat up yep he helped me get my boat i was having this terrible sciatica pain uh he rescued me because i could barely move on the boat i was dangerous being on the boat and he helped me get it from grenada down to trinidad and I called him up last week. I said, you want to help me bring it back up? He said, sure. So he'll he'll be, be on the boat, and I won't be an invalid this year. So I will be much better. I, yeah. I, you, know, I, I, you know, when I got off the boat last year, I felt I, I got to get rid of this boat because I can't take care of it. 
And it was because I was in so much pain. Right. Well, now I don't feel that way. Now I feel I can keep going because I don't have that pain anymore. I had uh, the back surgery and it was very successful and um, can't really go skiing this year because it's still mending. But boy, I, I'm a new man from that perspective. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Especially on a boat, it's like it's not like you just walk from one room to the other. It's usually on an angle, you have to move your feet around objects, and um, sometimes the boat's moving around quite a bit. So it's never, <laughs> yeah. And and then whenever you're working on it, you know, again, it's space limitations, so you're always twisted. And it's a great opportunity for sailor to sailor to sort of kick in as soon as you like twist your body in a particular angle and like just move the smallest thing and all of a sudden you feel it right yep yep are you having yep. that problem yet i have i have had it occasionally yeah. okay but um you know just three days and I've been then over it's it. gone okay good yeah. yeah but yeah i know what you mean <laughs> <laughs> like i said uh, i'm not going you know what I, here's a great quote you, you know who charlie munger was right yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he died. And, and one of his favorite, one of his quotes that I think is one of my favorites is, never, ever tell people your pro- your problems. 90% of them don't care, and the other 10% are glad you have them. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to whine too much. So <laughs> that's about it for me. So, all right. Let's keep uh, in touch. So you're going to be in the Bahamas pretty much this entire season then all season yeah. okay so we're we'll not going to cross, cross paths no, then we're on no foreign land and um and the number of users on no foreign land is just like increased dramatically and just ridiculous numbers now well i'm on it right now and i'm i'm using it actively in my planning for this next season because it's showing unlike other apps it shows me where the where the uh customs is you know i mean yeah go on go on any app and it will never show you where you go to clear customs it's the only one that i found that actually shows you where the customs offices are what i know since they released the app uh steve and helena uh have told me that they had a hundred percent increase over the last year and user numbers says like seven thousand seven thousand eight hundred um boats is it Something like twelve thousand users on there now. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like it. I'm on there. You're on there. It's good to that. I don't keep my track on there like you do, but uh, now I can follow you around. So. Yeah, well, my the actual track that you see there, it's just no foreign land is just picking that up from the inReach device that we have. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But you can just use on the app. You can just use the phone, and you can actually activate a track doesn't matter if it's not got cellular connection it will keep track and then upload the track as soon as it gets cellular hmm. uh, connection so yeah so you can do it on on the phone and of course you can just manually enter it as well so lots of different and there's a whole bunch of other trackers that they've now added so you know there's multiple ways to keep your track all right well, jack it's great talking to you we'll keep in touch and uh man absolutely Thanks, Ron. Keep sailing. You take care, buddy. You too. Bye-bye. The website for Sailing in the Mediterranean and beyond is www.medsailor.com. Again, medsailor.com. Life is short. In the end, 
is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.